Turn with me to the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 13. There's a few verses in particular that I felt inspired to expound upon as uh, my thoughts uh, were triggered by this scripture by our OMIC uh, meeting last Saturday, a week ago Saturday. I appreciate those that were in prayer for us there. That was another good meeting. And uh, as we discussed the situation of churches, sort of in light of the current uh, challenges that we have with COVID and so forth, um, there was sharing done around from the different brothers uh, from each of the churches represented, and this was one of the concepts in the scripture that we were exhorted to consider. And uh, I'd like to expand on that or expound on that this afternoon. So John chapter 13, and we'll start reading uh, just two verses, verse 34 and 35. Verse 34. So this is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. Um, that is the most detailed account. Those hours that they spent there take a large portion of the writings of the gospel writers. Uh, John certainly is, would be one of those. He just finished uh, washing the disciples' feet, uh, and he's, uh, Judas Iscariot has now left the room, it looks like, and um, Jesus has a particular teaching for them. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved ye, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We'll stop our reading just at those two verses. During the course of his life, Jesus gave many commandments, many instructions that were quite specific, do this or avoid that, and uh, this is one of those that he gave just to now 11 disciples that were in the room. And uh, from these two verses, we will expound on, with the Holy Spirit's inspiration, on what that looks like uh, today. What, what's the significance of what he's teaching here? He's saying that there's something new. It's a new commandment. We'll take a look at what, why does he call this new. And he gives them this commandment of love. Um, so that's the what of the, the commandment. Then he has the how and the why. And we'll look at it somewhat loosely structured in those ways. Uh, So the first is the what, which we've already somewhat touched on, is this commandment of love, that you love one another. But why is it new commandment? Because this isn't the first teaching in the scripture about loving one another. There's, of course, many... Now, there's a particular focus to Jesus' love here. He's saying uh, commandment about loving one another. So this is a, a particular kind of love between the disciples of Jesus Christ, the love within the brethren in the church. Now, this is not, of course, not the only kind of love that the Bible teaches, that we are to have love towards God. Uh, That's primary, paramount, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love between people, to love our neighbor as ourself. That's a generalized uh, love towards all people. That's also a biblical commandment. Uh, But this is a particular, uh, shall we say, focused uh, type of love for this that Jesus is giving them. In this commandment. In Exodus, one of the laws is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so in a sense, this commandment is similar, but why does he say that it's new? And I see there's two elements in here in the sense that it's new. It's new in the sense that he's giving a, um, a quality to it. And this is the how, as we move now into the not just the what, but the how. He says, as I have loved you. And so not only is it, it's not in the sense new that we, he's never commanded or described to love one another, but it's new in the sense of how much or to what degree and to what level of sacrifice has Jesus given to love one another. So in that sense, it's new because we were not called to that kind of love prior in the Old Covenant to love one's enemies, for example, and so forth. And then the uh, touching onto the why, which we will get into more, is um, this has a particular effect. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And so in that sense, it's new because it's a particular mark of the believer, whereas that has never been commanded in that sense to that degree in the scripture that the followers of God would be known by their love one for another. There were other distinctives that... Uh, God described to Moses for the children of Israel, for example, and we'll look at that um, as we move on uh, in the message. But let's first examine this quality that Jesus describes about, as I have loved you. In what way has Jesus loved his disciples that he is now telling them, this is the measure, this is the measuring stick, shall we say, this is the yardstick of how you measure and the the goal of the kind of love that you are to have as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so the first one that we'll examine is earlier in the letter in the Gospel of John, the famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so the way that Jesus loved his disciples was by giving himself for his disciples. And not only for his disciples, but of course for all of the world's people in hopes that they would all become his disciples. And so this love is extended to everyone, but in particular to those that are believers, to those that are the church. So all of us here that are part of the body of Christ, let's ponder on the measure and the depth of love that Jesus had expressed as he took on the form of man, uh, a human form, God becoming flesh, uh, a, a marvelous uh, miracle, how that uh, is even possible. But with God, all things are possible. That God the Son became flesh and expressed his love in that way, that he gave himself. He said in also in this uh, upper room address in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love, um, let's go with verse 12, so he's repeating this, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So Jesus is describing here how he's laying down, he's telling them in advance, he's going to lay down his life for them. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He laid down his life for 
his disciples. And so in essence here, we have the gospel message that those who are not yet believers, uh, as in have not converted to the saving of Jesus Christ for your personal soul, believe in the gospel and be moved by the love that he has for you personally, for you personally, so that you can experience salvation, saving from sin and being transformed into a new person. I urge you to believe and receive this kind of love and enter into this kind of love relationship with Jesus and with his disciples. He gave himself. He gave himself in terms of not only his uh, death, laying down his life, but his entire life, his presence. So this is another element of giving love that we can give to one another now. Because remember, this is we're looking at the purpose that we're looking at, how Jesus loved, as an example of how we also should love. This is the standard, right? So by lay, are we, how much are we willing to lay down our lives for one another? In times of persecution, severe persecution, we likely will have opportunity to do that, to lay down our lives, not only for the Lord, but perhaps also in defense of one another. That will be a great sacrifice when we have that opportunity. We read of it, of believers in history that have had that opportunity and have joyfully entered into that level of service. May we become ready for that. But while we were living, while he was living, he gave his presence to them, as in he was with them. So another way of expressing love is by being with a person for extended periods of time. Those of us maybe that have studied love languages, that is one of the love languages. They would call it quality time, of being with a person and spending time with them. And he did that with his disciples uh, for three years and some a little over three years, full time with this group of disciples, investing a tremendous amount of time and energy uh, in them. He also gave them food at times. He made a miracle of loaves and fishes and so forth. And so when we think about the love that we have one toward another as fellow believers, that we give one another time to be with one another, in a helpful manner, in an encouraging manner, in times of sorrow or mourning, in times of difficulty, um, in times of illness. Uh, when one another is rejoicing, we take time to be together and share these kinds of things together. This is the way that Christ loved his disciples and is calling us to the same type of expression of love, spending time with one another. Uh, sharing things, uh, food or clothing or articles, as we are a community of believers. We, we don't need to live lives of uh, self-reliance and independence. Now, we have a culture of affluence which has afforded us the ability to have, to a large degree, material independence, but that's not always a good thing that way. Uh, in a sense, it gives maybe a sense of freedom and security, but it 
doesn't foster, in a sense, maybe goes against this building and sharing of love between one another. And part of that is then sharing the blessings that we have been given. Material things, um, skills, um, or, or tools, or articles, and so forth. That uh, And we have means of doing that. Uh, thankful for those that, for example, in, in our congregation, that have structured the um, uh, ACC sharing means of communicating and sharing of goods when one is asking for something, either to borrow or to receive it, um, or one's, one wants to give something away. That it's one way of sharing within the community. That is one expression of love, of giving things to one another. We know that the early church, uh, as it's recorded in the first few chapters of Acts, were very dedicated and diligent in doing this, describing them as having all things in common, selling things that they didn't need, um, and living in some sort of intentional community of sharing many, many things, uh, rather than each individually uh, claiming things to be their own. Uh, that had uh, was limited in its form, as far as it, I don't know exactly how long that lasted in that form, but regardless of what form specifically it takes in, the point is sharing things and having the things that God had us, in a sense, with an open hand, that we are willing to share to bless others and receive blessings in the similar way. As we think about, uh, I know I see a number of children uh, that are here and youth, and so this might be one example in which you can demonstrate that kind of love towards others that are in your uh, social circle, shall we say, or friends and, and uh, extended family and so forth. You have likely many toys uh, and things that you can share with somebody else. Uh, that you don't, and we know the dynamics of children. Naturally, um, we are selfish people, and we see that emerging in children at a very young age. And as one, uh, as there is sometimes a conflict and squabbles over uh, a particular toy and so forth. But here's one example in which you can learn to share the kind of love that Jesus had is by sharing the things that you have with someone else. So this is all part of giving, the kinds of things that Jesus gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself, he gave his presence, he gave things. These are things that we can do within the community of believers to demonstrate, to experience the love of Christ. Now we're going to move on to another one where we're going to look at um, a few scriptures uh, within what I'm going to call the category of forbearance. Jesus forbeared with his disciples. Um, that would mean that he put up with them. As we're going to read a few scriptures and experiences that Jesus shared with them, that he said he sort of had, had this, um, what's, what's the word, this sort of burden or this load of measure of frustration that his disciples were not always getting things at the rate perhaps that he hoped that they would. Um, one of them we can read about in Acts, uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, around verse 38. Um, we have a man that comes that, that needs healing. And he brings him to his disciples. I guess Jesus was somewhere else at that moment. He saw the disciples and asked them to cast out this spirit. And his disciples could not. And Jesus has this expression in verse 41 of Luke chapter 9, 
that we're going to read here. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And then he heals him. But it's this expression of frustration that Jesus had with them of how long shall I suffer you? How long will I need to be patient with you in this case? And so he's sort of, in this case, putting up with them or forbearing with their incompetence. He had, it would seem evident from this expression, that he had expectations that his disciples should have been able to do this task. But they couldn't. They tried to some degree, but they had failed. And so when we just sort of ponder on that application with us, each, how much forbearance has Jesus expressed lovingly towards you? You know, maybe the way where you are at right now in your walk with the Lord, he, has ex, he had expected or had hopes for you of being more mature than where you are, of being able to serve more sacrificially than you are willing to do right now. And he has, in a sense, in his heart, this sort of burden, this sadness or this, this frustration, and saying, my child... You, you should be further along in your progress, in your walk with me now, but, but you're not. And the Apostle Paul uh, expressed this sentiment in some of his letters where he said, you know, when you're at a stage where you should be able to take meat and you can't, I still need to feed you with milk. There was an example of this kind of sense of frustration here. They should be further along than they really are. And Jesus expressed that to his disciples. And now the reality that we have that same opportunity, shall we say, to express love to one another. Because all of us here, uh, and those that are joining online, are at a different level of maturity in our walk with the Lord. And of course that's going to be the case because we all have different timelines and a different duration of which we've walked with with the Lord. Some have only been recently converted, and others have walked with him uh, for many years, 30, 30 or 50 years or more. And so of course there will be a different level of maturity there evident should be so and so then those that are more mature have this opportunity to express love in terms of forbearance towards others maybe they don't quite get it yet in their ability to serve and so forth and it will cause frustration maybe for others as maybe those that are um, tasks with responsibilities in the church look for those that things can be delegated unto or or responsibilities passed on to someone else and it seems that there's no one willing to or those that have expressed willingness or some that take it somewhat maybe grudgingly and are not fulfilling it maybe to the full degree that it that it could be that where there is the possibility for such and love is then expressed in terms of forbearance rather than coming down hard on the person um, or uh, judging them harshly in some way or, or belittling them or um, uh, ridiculing them. He can't you even do this? You know, what's, what's wrong with you and so forth? These kinds of expressions that we, we would be tempted to think in those terms and that may come out in our demeanor. And so we have the opportunity to love one another in terms of forbearance. But there's many other opportunities for forbearance that Jesus showed his disciples. Uh, also in the upper room, in the Gospel of Luke, he records, uh, in, uh, I'm going now to Luke chapter 22, verse 24, another opportunity that Jesus showed forbearance in this measure of frustration with them. 
And there was also a strife among them, the disciples, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So they've walked with Jesus now for three and some years. They're at the last, what's known as the Last Supper, as he's sharing Passover with them. Can you imagine Jesus' frustration with his disciples as there appears now to be a squabble among them of who's going to be the greatest among them? I can just imagine Jesus saying, you still don't get it. Forbearance. And then he explains them and gives them teaching on authority and what authority and service and humility looks like in the kingdom of God. Another expression of forbearance. Um, of course, the whole element, uh, the whole area of forbearance uh, comes in when we are irritated with one another. And uh, But maybe before we go for that, I'm going to look, consider another application. And this would be for those that are youth in CFG age. Um, and uh, maybe those that are in the older section of CFG age. Maybe you're in your 20s um, already and so there is opportunity to serve. And you may feel this frustration because there are also 13 and 15-year-olds and so forth in CFG that, in your view, of course, youth group, that are not nearly as mature as you are. And so it's not as fun to hang around with them as it is to hang around with your own peer group. But here's an opportunity to express the love of Jesus in that same way by being in a place, because you're now in a place where you could become leadership in youth group and serving in ways and whether it's an official capacity of leadership or just the fact that you are there participating and connecting and reaching out to people in a mentoring kind of role officially or unofficially just relationally being there for them it takes a measure of forbearance because you think well I'm much more mature this is this venue is not for me and I'm going to look for something else to satisfy me but notice this self-centeredness in that kind of thinking I urge you those that are in that age group think of the love of Jesus and how you can express that to others within that context of finding ways to serve and to bless to mentor to bring someone along come alongside with them that will pay tremendous dividends in the kingdom of God. It's an investment in the kingdom of God. It's not easy. It takes work. It's not always fun. But I'll tell you, it's rewarding in ways that whatever other activity you choose to do instead will not give you. Because there is the reward of loving that Jesus provides for those who choose to love in a self-sacrificial way is greater than any other reward that we can receive. Think about that. Moving on to other opportunities for forbearance, and that comes in terms of uh, when we are irritated by one another, and we need to intentionally love uh, in spite of that irritation as there is differences of opinion and so forth. And so Romans 14 talks about that. Uh, there was uh, some uh, con- uh, references to uh, Romans 14 in our OMIC meeting as well in that term in, in uh, last Saturday. And it seems that the last six months of our 
world situation around COVID has provided unique or new opportunities maybe that we never imagined to express forbearance. And in some Christian circles, uh, and that's challenged here as well, I'm sure, to varying degrees, is that it's given rise to opportunity for divisions within brethren that our Lord never intended. And in that sense, our love is tested one for another. And as we discussed this uh, briefly uh, in Olmec, uh, Romans 14 was uh, described sort of as an example uh, of that. And I'm going to read a few uh, verses uh, from that here. There, there would be room to have an entire uh, dedicated sermon on Romans 14, which I'm not going to be able to do this, this afternoon, of course. Um, but it's uh, verse 10, for example, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, verse 19, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. You know, in the response to uh, COVID, there's been a whole range of what one should do or what one shouldn't do and different opinions as to what degree one follows various protocols. And it's precisely that variation that has caused or gives opportunity for a a separation between believers or where hurt can be caused, where one would think, well, why wouldn't all believers see it the way I do? It, 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 it just makes sense to look at it this way. And another believer has a different uh, perspective on the matter, and we should see it this way. <clears throat> In this matter, brothers and sisters, may I give the exhortation that we have no divisions within the body of Christ on account of COVID protocols. And I'm thankful that seems to be very minimal in our experience here, but that might not be the case uh, always going forward. That may be tested more, or that may not be the case in, in other believers' circles. And maybe we be uh, aware of that and pray for them, but also pray for ourselves to express love intentionally regardless of where one expresses um, or has conviction on these kinds of matters. The gospel is more central to our calling. And so the enemy would certainly want to capitalize on those kinds of things as a distraction from the gospel and as a distraction from our calling as believers in Christ. Don't let him get an edge, a foot in that sense and get some leverage in there between us. That would be playing into his agenda. We don't want to do that. We want to love one another. And be intentional in that. The Apostle Paul addressed various conflicts between brethren. As we look in Philippians 2, verse 2, where he said, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now notice here this, he ties love to being of one accord, of the same mind, being like-minded. And then one might say, well, of course, um, why don't they look at it like me? Then we would be like-minded. And, uh, of course, that's a self-centered way of defining like-mindedness. And as we understand that like-mindedness does not mean we have to do everything exactly the same. But like-mindedness means that we can accept one another's variations on places where the Scripture is not um, explicit. There's a reason why the scripture is silent or vague on some things. 
in order to give room for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and personal conviction on certain matters. And so on those matters, like-mindedness means we will accept one another's conviction in love, and we will not allow that to cause a rift between us. That takes a lot of maturity in order to be able to live life that way. Because it's so much easier to band together with people that are like me. And for you to band together with people that are like you in various peripheral issues, shall we say. But that's precisely what the gospel came to address because that is conforming to the world. The world does that. They, we talked about uh, Brother Werner spoke about this morning about worldliness and being conformed to this world. And so that's one area that we as believers can become conformed to this world, as in this mindset of banding together in a narrower and narrower and narrower set of definitions so that people are like me or that people that are like you. And Jesus came to address that. And the gospel message and the family of God crosses all of those kinds of man-made boundaries and categories and so forth. Whether it be ethnicity, language, race, culture, um, lifestyle, whatever the case may be, we are to love one another with this profound sense of love that Jesus loved his disciples. And that takes a lot of maturity to be able to do that. Think about that. Um, Philippians 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul addressed two individuals in the church. I beseech Yodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Evidently, there was a dispute or some sort of conflict there uh, to such a degree that it was well known within the church, such that the Apostle Paul became aware of it. And notice how he addressed it. And notice what he didn't say in his address. He didn't say who was right or wrong in the conflict, and he didn't say what the issue was and what the right view of the issue was. He just said, be of the same mind. So what I would take from that is two possibilities. One, that it was obvious to either one or to the church who was right and who was wrong and which side of the issue was correct or not. Or perhaps it was of an issue that it was one of those personal conviction issues and both views were acceptable. Just don't fight about it. Just don't have a conflict about it. Agree to get along within your personal convictions. I'm not aware from Scripture which one, which situation it is, but either way we can learn in both of those cases. Do you have a conflict with someone that's of an issue that's not explicit in the scriptures. Drop it. Choose love, rather. Um, the final area that we will look at, as far as how did Jesus love, we're still in this area of how. Right? We're looking at the what, which is love one another. This next, this area we've been dealing with is how. We looked at lots of different ways that Jesus uh, gave this example of how, and then we'll get to the why. And that is by forgiveness. Love is very clearly tied to forgiving one another. And Jesus, in this ultimate expression of forgiveness, as he's hanging on the cross in tremendous pain and agony, fulfilling the mission that he came, he's laying down his life. But in the midst of that, as it's difficult as it is to speak in that case, 
every word is very costly, shall we say. And so we would look at his sayings on the cross as being very significant. And one of those is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love is an expression. Uh, forgiveness is an expression of love. Now, he's expressing this to those that put him on the cross. He's also expressing this to his disciples who fled. And he, there was a time during this uh, period where he was all alone. Disciples sort of came in and out. It seems that John stayed with him the longest, but there's one verse that says, all forsook him and fled, even John. So he's expressing forgiveness for being left alone, even when they committed to stay with him. Peter was the most vocal about that um, and said, even though the others might, I am never going to forsake you. And the scripture makes it a point to say that he did forsake him. As believers, when we live lives of intentionality in loving community one with another, we will inevitably, because we're human, hurt one another. There will be things that we will do that hurt one another. We will disappoint one another. We won't live up to one another's expectations. Sometimes we will even be rude to one another. All of these are sin, shouldn't happen, but does. And so when that happens, forgiveness is in order. And that's another opportunity, shall we say, to express love one to another is through forgiveness. Rather than seeking retribution and getting even and revenge, those are, again, that's being conformed to the world. Even though your cause might be right, if that's your means of addressing this situation, you're being conformed to the world. Being conformed to Christ would be seeking biblical ways of reconciliation. Certainly there's a path of reconciliation and uh, trying to address a particular fault and trespass. But ultimately the point is here, forgiveness is necessary in order to restore that and to live Christ-like lives. Another uh, statement that the Jesus said to Peter is, I have prayed for you. Um, uh, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And so another expression of love between believers is that we pray one for another. We depend on one another's prayers in an intercessory manner. Yes, our own prayers for ourselves are very important, but also intercessory prayer one for another. Lots of different ways that Jesus demonstrated his love toward his disciples that give us opportunity to do the same. Uh, Moving on now to the last uh, piece. We need to finish this up here uh, as time is moving on. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This is the element in which it's new. Because previous covenants, this is the new covenant, the new covenant, the, shall we say, the evidence of the new covenant is how believers love one another. 
By this shall all men know you are my disciples. Jesus chooses this virtue of love. In the Old Covenant, he didn't have that measurement. The Old Covenant had the sign of circumcision. That's how they would know. And by the keeping of the laws and the sacrifices and, and so forth. Um, that is different now uh, with the ushering in of the New Covenant. It is love is the badge of believer. Love is the identification of whether you are a true believer or not. As in, that is how others will be able to tell so. And that is tremendous because it is not something that can be faked over the long term. You know, if Jesus would have shown some other sign or picked uh, some some particular practice, a particular custom, a particular tradition, a way of doing things, you know, churches over the years have, in a sense, sometimes gravitated towards those things as identifying themselves as believers. We are a particular brand of believers because of this, and then we would set certain boundaries and so forth. Well, that's maybe some place for that, of course, because we have... Uh, biblical practices and there's ways in which to exercise the biblical commandments and different groups of believers will find ways to do that. But that's not the main point here. That's not the main identification of who is a believer and who isn't because those things really don't mean anything to the world. But what does stand out to the world in contrast because it's clear nonconformity to the world's way of thinking is this sacrificial love one towards another regardless of our differences or irritations or culture and language and and so forth, uh, nationality uh, and and so forth. That is what stands out in stark contrast to the world because no human power can create that. And so it stands out in that way. And so the question then remains that we have to ask one another, to what degree does this exist among us? That those that know us and that observe our interaction one with another, um, and or those that would read about us, would that stand out? It did for the early church. As they were examined, there was this phrase that was shared in Omec as well. Behold how they love one another, wrote one outsider of the Christian community as he examined or investigated what the Christians were all about. That was one of his many conclusions. Would that be a conclusion for you and for me? May we examine our hearts and find ways to grow in that and so fulfill the cause of Christ. Amen.